0: Section 8 of The Man Who Understood Women and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Man Who Understood Women and Other Stories by Leonard Merrick THE LAURELS AND THE LADY, PART 2 PART 4 "'Good afternoon, gentlemen,' she said languidly. "'Oh, monsieur, be seated, I beg.' Her monsieur was the only false note, and of that he was no judge. Every pulse in his body leapt at her entrance, every nerve in him quickened at the rustle of her cheap little frock across the floor." To him, it was brocade of a mysterious rose tint, and there was old lace on her bosom. She sank into one of the basket chairs, and looked towards his companions for approval with her tongue in her cheek. "'I am very pleased to see you,' she said. "'Your friends have spoken about you to me.' "'You see one of your most ardent admirers, madam,' said Teal, "'and a poet.' "'I'm afraid Mr. Shepherd, and I are in the way at the meeting of two artists.' "'Willie lifted his hand in discomfiture. "'Don't make me absurd,' he stammered. "'Don't laugh at me, madam. "'I'm not an artist. "'I only hoped to be one. "'But I'm grateful, ever so grateful, for your letting me come here. "'To have spoken to you will be something to remember all my life.' THE GIRL SMILED ALMOST AS BROADLY AS THE NEGRO HAD DONE. YOU ARE VERY, VERY, WHAT IS THE WORD IN ENGLISH? COMPLIMENTARY, SHE DRAWLED. YOU MUST NOT MAKE ME VAIN, YOU KNOW, AND YOU ARE TOO MODEST ALSO, IS IT NOT, MR. TEAL? I AM TOLD THAT YOUR POEMS ARE QUITE CHARMING. EVEN SHEPHERD WAS AMUSED. SHE WAS DOING IT VERY WELL. The spectators at the window pushed against one another inquiringly. "'Will you not recite one to me?' she asked. "'Bravo!' said Teal. "'The very thing. "'Go on, Childers, let Madame hear something you've done.' "'I couldn't,' said Willie. "'Forgive me, madam. "'I couldn't, indeed. "'In Paris?' "'said Polly. "'Many poets recite their verses to me. "'Yes, truly, you are too modest, monsieur. "'Well, as you please. "'Then let us talk. "'You are fond of the theatre, eh?' "'He bowed. "'Passionately of late,' he answered awkwardly. "'Aha! "'But he can make pretty speeches to our modest poet. "'You, Mr. Teal, have not said anything so nice to me. "'But perhaps you do not feel it either.' everybody raves about madame Duchesne,' said shepherd mr teal and i are very honored to be er very honored indeed he caught signals from the onlookers and drew teal's attention to them they were growing impatient out there the dialogue was lost upon them and viewed as a pantomime the scene was dull polly saw the gestures too and shook her fist at the crowd joyously tonight she resumed "'I play one of my favorite roles, Marguerite.' "'In point of fact, she was mistaken. "'Duchene was to play frou-frou, "'but Willie could not read the newspapers anymore. "'I've seen you in it,' he said eagerly. "'I was at your first performance. "'I shall never see you in it again.' "'Why?' he flushed. "'I said see. "'I can't see you at all.' "'How long have you been like this?' asked the girl, deprecatingly. "'Nearly three weeks, it seems. "'It seems a year, I suppose. "'It must.' "'Yes,' said Childers. "'It seems much longer than it is. "'I dare say I shall get used to it by and by, "'but a day's a long time at first. "'I'm all alone, and there's nothing to do.' "'It must be awful,' she murmured." ''Mr. Childers is going home very soon,'' said Shepherd. ''and then all of us poor beggars will be jealous of him.'' ''You and he may meet in London, madam,'' added Teal. ''You'll go to the theatre next time Madame Chain plays in London, won't you, Childers? Perhaps she'll let you call on her there, too.'' Polly shifted her chair irritably. ''Will you be able to go about in London, Mr. Childers?'' ''I don't know many people in England,'' he said, I'm afraid not. I shall be in Dulwich with my mother. But you will make friends, she urged, won't you? You won't be tied to the house always. I shan't be very lively company. I don't suppose many men will be anxious to be my friends. Ah, well, exclaimed Teal, a boy's best friend is his mother, ain't she, madam? Gentlemen, said Polly, springing up. "'I'm sure you two would like a cigar on the step. "'Don't move, Mr. Childers. "'They'll come back to you.' "'Johnny Teal stared. "'You would like a cigar on the step,' she repeated. "'And as it was evident that she meant to be obeyed, "'they said that it was a very kind suggestion and withdrew. "'Teal consoled himself with the idea "'that they were to be afforded a view of Willie on his knees.' She did not speak for some moments after the door closed. She sat in the chair that Teal had vacated, with her back to the window. Her expression had changed, and her face was quite soft. Are you pleased they've gone? she asked. Yes, answered Willie simply. So my, I. I want to talk to you. I like you. Do you know, I never was so sorry for anybody in the world before. You make me feel almost glad I'm blind. I've prayed that I might talk to you one day. I used to pray to see you, too, but that's impossible now. That night, he paused, afraid. What night? said the girl. Your first night here. You know, I wasn't blind then, and... Oh, it's like a dream. Is it really you I'm telling it to? It's me, said Paul Patchouli. Her eyes shining. And what? I came away praying to be great, just to have the right to meet you. I've always wanted to succeed, of course, ever since I was a child, but that night it was different. It was to know you, to hear you say you had read my verse, to feel there was a sort of, a sort of sympathy between us. Are you laughing at me? She put out her hand and touched him. She had given her hand to many men, but never quite like that. Willie had a wild impulse to lift it to his lips, but did not do so, afraid again. She had hoped that he would. Do you like me as much as you thought you were going to? She asked, after a silence. Yes, said Willie. You're just what I was sure you must be. Really? 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 "'That's good,' she said, "'smearing a tear off her cheek "'with the hand that was not resting on him. "'Shall you come again? "'I mean, alone?' "'May I?' he cried. "'Do you mean it? "'Oh, but how can I? "'I forgot. "'I can't go anywhere alone any more. "'This is the first time I've been out "'since I lost my sight. "'Teal and Ted Shepard offered to bring me. "'The beasts." "'said Paul Patchouli in her throat. "'If I may come again with them? "'No, don't do that. "'Where do you live? "'Perhaps one day, as you're all by yourself, "'I'll come and see you, "'but I don't want you to talk about it if I do. "'I... "'No, I never shall come. "'Why? "'Why not? "'I won't speak a word of it to a soul "'if you don't wish me to, "'but it would be a charity.' "'I'm sure you'd have no need to mind. "'Oh, I'd bless you, madam, please.' "'Why do you like me?' she said sullenly. "'You must be an awful fool to like a woman you don't know.' "'I do know you now,' he faltered, shrinking. "'And besides—' "'Besides what?' said Polly. "'I had seen you on the stage. "'Is that nothing?' "'Never mind the stage.' Imagine you've only seen me here today. Well? You want me to come? I implore you to. Oh, yes, because I'm Duchesne. If I weren't a great actress, you wouldn't care a button whether I was sorry for you or not. Well, what is the address? I'm in the manager's cottage, Mr. Somerset's cottage, on the works of the Fortunatus Mining Company, he gasped. Any driver'll take you to it. It's in Boltfontein. I know, she said. You know? I mean, I have heard the name. No, my acquaintance with the diamond fields is not so extensive as all that, monsieur. But I will find it, and I will come. Her accent was much more marked in the last sentence than it had been a few moments ago, but its resumption was unnecessary. The first impression had been all-powerful, and he was drunk with delight. Indeed, when the entertainment was over, he was the only one who was entirely satisfied with it. Johnny Teal and his party felt that the hoax had panned out less brilliantly than it had promised, and Polly, alone in her room, threw herself on the bed and cried miserably, without knowing why. Part 5 It was significant that she did not call upon him for three days, though she wanted to do so very much. It was significant also that, when she did go, she put on her prettiest hat and frock, and made herself look as dainty as she could, though her host would not be able to see her. Her visit intensified that strange emotion to her, pity for a man, and the step once taken she went again, without vacillating and bad shilling was dispatched for meals for two from the Carnarvon, and their afternoons were so pleasant that sometimes before they parted stars were in the sky there was now demanded of the girl an infinitely more difficult achievement than that required of her at the royal hotel she found herself expected to realize and respond to an artist's aspirations she could not do it quite But if she simulated more comprehension of them than she could feel, she did, by degrees, come to gain a glimmer of the blaze within him, too. She had to strain for it hard at first, so hard that she was surprised at her own patience. Many of his confidences were meaningless to her, foreign. Why should he await an answer from the publishers with such suspense, when he didn't expect much money even if they took the book? But during those long afternoons and evenings, while Willie talked to Rosa Duchesne, as he had never thought to find himself talking to anyone, Polly sat opposite him in the rocking chair, with attentive eyes, learning a lesson. Once, just as she was leaving, Blake Somerset came in. He had heard that his nephew was receiving visits from a lady in the cottage, and, guessing who the lady must be, intended to put a stop to them. He was rather ashamed of himself for having allowed the joke to be played at all, and the discovery of the lengths to which it had been carried annoyed him. Polly started in alarm, but Childers, who had no cause to be embarrassed, performed what he believed to be the ceremony of introduction with perfect calmness. "'I don't think you have met my uncle,' he said. "'Have you?' "'Mr. Somerset, Madame Duchesne.' Somerset was about to answer with a brutal laugh, but a gesture from the girl checked him. When they were outside and out of earshot, she stopped and looked at him appealingly. "'Are you going to give me away?' she said. "'Are you going to tell him?' "'Don't! I'm not doing any harm. Please don't tell him!' "'This is damned nonsense!' exclaimed Somerset. "'The boy's an ass, but you've no right to have a game like this with him, you know. It won't do!' "'I'm not doing any harm,' she insisted. "'Really? "'Of course it's a beastly shame in one way, "'but but it does cheer him up. "'You must see for yourself how much brighter he is, and, "'and if you tell him you'll break his heart.' "'Rats!' said Somerset. "'Don't talk such piffle!' "'You'll break his heart,' she flared out. "'Not that you'd mind much, I suppose, if you did. "'Well, go back and do it.' "'Go in, and say that isn't Rosa Duchesne who comes to see you. "'It's a girl they call Paul Pachouli, and everybody's been kidding you. "'Go on. "'Then you won't have to take him to England, "'because he'll be buried here before you start, "'and it'll be you who have killed him, as sure as a gun.' "'Do you mean to tell me,' said Somerset blankly, "'that you think he'll never find out? "'You must be as daft as he is, you little fool.' Well, I don't care. Do as you like. Can't last long, that's one thing. When are you coming again? I'm coming tomorrow, said Polly, and if you think it all so shocking, I wonder you let those swine bring him to my room. At all events, I don't guy him, as you meant me to. Then she jumped up into the cart and drove away, and Somerset dropped into the club and told Teal that— Funny as it sounded, he believed that girl was mashed on the boy, and the posse of conspirators sat and viewed the development of their plot with open mouths. She meant her deception to conclude with the actress's departure, and it was only when the time came that she perceived how strange a hold the deception had established on her how much she liked the young man who talked to her of things that she had never talked of before. The temptation was too strong to be resisted, and prompted by the fact that Duchesne's season had been extended for a week, she told him, when she went on the morrow, that it had been extended for six weeks. Childer's joy was pitiful to behold. He had been happier of late, in his blindness, than he had ever been when he had sight, The sudden news that his paradise would endure, when the groan of its closing gates was already in his soul, was a relief so intense that its outcome frightened her. From the beginning she had been aware that he was in love with her, but now she saw how wildly he was in love, and she was aghast. Her life had not accustomed her to regard sexual attraction as a serious matter. Though she had not continued to view her imposture lightly, she had not grasped the full responsibility of it till then. She gazed at him wildly with trembling lips, like a child who has smashed something. "'Are you so glad?' she faltered. "'So glad is all that!' The consciousness crept through her as she asked it that she, too, was glad, not in the frivolous way that she had thought, but as a woman is glad to remain with a man who has grown dear to her. She moved slowly over to him and took his hands down from his face and dropped on her knees before him, wondering at them both. Willie, she whispered, say something. I love you. He couldn't answer, but she felt what she had done, and she forgot then that the whole thing was a lie. "'forgot when an exclamation would burst from him if he could see her. "'It was her own kisses that he was returning. "'It was her own clasp that made him shake like that. "'The deception had gone further still, "'and there began for the blind man a period in which he tasted "'all the triumphant rapture of possessing a beautiful "'and celebrated woman whom he adored.' When he embraced Polly, his delusion gave him Rosa Duchesne in his arms. When Polly clung about him, it was Duchesne's touch that thrilled his blood and Duchesne's lips that burned. He lavished on Polly the madness of the passion that Duchesne had inspired. He saw with his brain the form of the famous woman that intoxicated him, while Polly, the insignificant, was lying on his heart. The ecstasy of the delusion dizzied him. Rosa Duchesne was his own, visited him daily, vowed she was wretched when they were apart. She, a genius, renowned all the world over, discussed with him the prospects of his poem's acceptance, and entered into his hopes and fears. Why was he a nonentity? if only he could climb nearer to worthiness? One afternoon... A fortnight later, when Polly went to the post office to inquire if there was anything for him, she found that the publisher's reply had at last arrived. She saw their name on the envelope, and a roll of manuscript, which the clerk handed to her also, showed that the work was declined. She took the things, almost as disconsolate as her lover would be, and wondered, on her way to the cottage— how she was to break the news to him, how she could be gentle enough. He had come out on the step to listen for her. He knew where she had been, and the eagerness on his face made the words that she had to speak more difficult to her still. Dearest, said Childers, and waited. There's a letter, said Polly, reluctantly. I haven't opened it yet. The rejected manuscript oppressed her, She put it down on the table with her sunshade. From them? Yes. Read it, he begged breathlessly. Read it, Rosa, for heaven's sake. She opened the envelope, looking not at it, but at him. It was hateful that it should be she who had to bring the disappointment. The color was fluttering in his cheeks, and the thin hands held out towards her quivered. Suppose she told him a fib. Suppose she said. He couldn't see the answer. As the notion flashed into her mind, she caught her breath, and Willie heard her. They've taken it? he exclaimed. She was trying confusedly to discern what difficulties such a falsehood would entail, but his question decided her. She could not crush him with the truth after that. Yes, she said in a low voice they have taken it. Rosa, Rosa, oh my God, read it to me. What do they say? They say, oh darling, I am so glad for you, so glad. Willie, aren't you happy? I told you it'd be all right now, didn't I? What do they say? They say, how can I see if you hold me so tight, silly boy? It's only a line. Dear sir, "'We shall be pleased to publish the poems you have submitted. "'They will be... what is it? "'They will be brought out soon. That's all. "'So... so perhaps they aren't going to pay you for them. "'But you won't mind that, will you? "'They'll publish them, and they say pleased. "'They might have said willing, but they say pleased.' "'To her the communication that she had invented sounded very meagre but she need not have striven to apologize for it. To him, the bare fact was more than enough. They were going to bring out his book. He would hold it, hug it, and soon, he had been craving all his life, and on an instant fortune rained favors on him with both hands. Balzac's expression of every artist's prayer recurred to him. To be celebrated, to be loved. He marvelled, giddy with exultation, that he could be so calm in the face of miracles. He was Rosa Duchesne's lover, and now his reveries was to be given to the world. Then a frightful misgiving seized him. "'You haven't deceived me. It's true,' he gasped. "'It's quite true,' cried Polly. "'How could you think such a thing?' They embraced again, and he told her how proud she would be of him by and by. "'You'll make me,' he panted. "'If I have written these before I knew you, what shall I do now? I shall be great. Rosa, I shall be great. The man you love will be known too. You'll have done it for me. What a beautiful world we live in, and it's the same world that was so ugly the other day.' Oh, darling life, it blows kisses back to me. You fill me with emotions and ideas that tumble over one another. I shall pour them out in my work. My mind and heart are bursting sometimes, too small to hold all you make me feel. I'll dedicate every book to you, you who will have inspired them all. Oh, thank God I'm a poet. To worship you as I do and be able to lay nothing at your feet would have been torture. "'He wandered about the room, with her arm round him, "'while her troubled gaze turned from time to time "'to the roll of manuscript on the table. "'Did you believe I was an artist when we first met?' "'He broke out again. "'Or was it only pity? "'Did you feel we had something in common, "'different from the others? "'Oh, how vain of me that sounds! "'But you know, you know how I mean it.' "'I know,' she said.' And you did, you did feel there was a bond between us. Tell me, I want so much of you, dearest. I want more and more and more every day. I want more than I can tell you, and more than the utmost. It's as if nature hadn't provided for such a love. What can I do? You know your thoughts before you speak them. I'm jealous of that. You're mad, he nodded. I dare say, nothing satisfies me, but I can't see you. If you knew how I strain, I'd give my right arm to see you now. Turn your face up and let me try. Great God, it's a wonderful thing to be a woman, and somehow it doesn't seem enough to be a man. One day I'll try to tell you all I feel for you. If I could do it, it'd be the finest poem ever written. And what a relief! When she left, the moon was shining. She slipped the manuscript up under her dust cloak, and reaching home, hid it away remorsefully at the bottom of her box. What would be the result of the lie she had told? She upbraided herself bitterly for her cowardice. But now, for him to learn that his work was rejected would be a blow unbearable. Now... Whatever happened, he must not know. He would curse her. Part 6 In the night, the remembrance struck her that she had left the note in his possession. She was seized with the terror that he might show it to Somerset and discover the truth with the rudest shock possible. She lay tossing restlessly, and the sun had scarcely risen when she drove to Boldfontaine with a face of ashes." "'Willie was not visible. "'He was dressing, "'with the aid of the kaffir "'who attended on him. "'She sank on to the first chair "'inside the door "'and tried to gather voice "'to call to him. "'He entered from the bedroom "'almost at the same moment, "'and his appearance suggested "'that the catastrophe had occurred. "'His greeting, however, "'dispelled her fear. "'I've had news about my mother,' "'he murmured. "'She's dead.' The mail carrying Childers' poems, had also brought a letter to Somerset. Mrs. Childers had opportunely died of pneumonia, avoiding the arrival of a son who had had no proper ambition and who was now blind besides. Somerset had had a long talk with him the previous night, after Polly's departure. The widow's death put difficulties in the way of the young man's return to England. The manager was going with the object of enjoying himself. Moreover, in three or four months, he was to be back on the Fortunatus works. He had pointed out that there would now be nobody to take charge of Willie in London. It was an awkward thing to determine what was to become of him. Seldom had a young man who had inherited about 350 a year been such an encumbrance. All these facts Childers imparted to Polly, "'We haven't decided what I'm to do,' he went on. "'I couldn't stop here permanently, even if I wanted to. "'I'm bound to be a nuisance, you see. "'It wouldn't be fair for a fellow like me "'to plump himself on an uncle for life.' "'Have you told him about your book?' "'No, wouldn't interest him. "'And we talked about my mother's death. "'No, I didn't say anything about it.' "'And I wouldn't if I were you.' she exclaimed. "'I wouldn't say anything to a soul till it is printed. Let it be a secret between us two till the right time comes.' "'That's what I thought, darling,' he said. "'Yes.' She passed the day between relief and dismay. It was piteous to think of the loneliness of his situation. She could not have loved him more tenderly if she had been his wife. The further complication that had arisen to harass her appeared, temporarily— "'graver than anything else. "'Willie was no less dismayed. "'His grief for the loss of his mother was not all. "'He longed for Duchesne to propose his travelling to England "'by the same boat as herself, "'to say that she would be his constant companion "'till they had ascertained whether an operation was feasible. "'This way out of the difficulty must have presented itself to her,' "'he thought, but she had not suggested it, "'and for him to do so was impossible.' A little constraint crept into his conversations with the girl now, and while she inwardly commented on the difference, he was tremulously waiting, in every pause, for her to make the offer that had never entered her head. Their dream might have continued in England, more deliciously than he had ever dared to hope, and instead they were to be divided entirely, by her own choice. He was bitterly wounded, and not even the anticipated arrival of his book, the subject on which he chiefly talked with her, was potent to banish his mortification. His allusions to his book were, indeed, often perfunctory, but their effect on his listener was disquieting enough. The first of the consequences of her lie was already at hand to worry her, She repented that she had said soon in her improvised acceptance, and wondered how soon a publisher's soon might mean. Childers was equally ignorant on the point, and in answer to her nervous queries, he said that the copies might reach him any week. She could do no less, after this, than pretend every mail day to go to the post office to inquire for them— and affect to be disappointed when she informed him that nothing had come. She groped, perplexed, in the labyrinth that she had created, questioning helplessly how to sustain it. If the truth were exposed at this stage, she would have done him the cruelest, the most cowardly wrong imaginable, and she'd make away with herself. Her only excuse for the deception was that, so far, it had been successful. If the truth came out, after all, it would be the end of her. She'd be like that girl in Bullfontaine Road who had taken carbolic acid the other day and been found in a blue heap on the floor. After each mail, she gave thanks for another respite, but when four mails had been delivered, she feared that a longer delay would excite his suspicions. And, facing the inevitable with the courage of despair, She nerved herself to contemplate the boldest stroke that she had planned yet. While she was prepending it, the prospect of Willie's making the voyage with his uncle was extinguished definitely. Somerset was starting at once, at a couple of days' notice, for a very brief trip, indeed. His subordinate on the Fortunatus had been offered a better appointment— and it was necessary for the manager's vacation to be taken while the other was still on the works. In the circumstances, Willie would be more than ever a burden. Somerset explained that he would make time to see the solicitor to the estate and endeavour to arrange for the boy to be looked after in London. There were always fellows going over, and he could travel with someone else later on. That he himself should take him was impossible, Willie did not remonstrate. But the end of the imaginary extension of Rosa's season was terribly near now. Rosa Duchesne, as a matter of fact, was at this time at Monte Carlo, dropping some of the Diamondfields money at the tables. And he felt hopelessly that the woman he loved was fading out of his life forever. He could have cried with the pain of it. He sat in the slip of a sitting room the night before the departure while Somerset banged his portmanteau about and made cheerful remarks. Somerset was wondering whether he should drop a hint to the lad about Polly. He decided that he would ask Ted Shepherd to keep an eye on him instead. Willie was longing for him to be gone, longing to be free to abandon himself unseen to his misery. In the morning he felt his forlornness less when the sound of the cartwheels had died away, leaving him to the mercies of bad shilling for the next two months than he had done while the preparations were going forward. But the consciousness that they all found him an Incubus was bad to bear. His welcome to Polly when she appeared was the outcome of the consciousness and alarmed her. Having taken off her dust coat and hat and tried vainly to make him talk, "'She began to prepare their tea. "'At last, glancing at him, she said diffidently, "'Has anything happened? "'You have not much to say. "'What's the matter?' "'Oh, nothing particular. "'My uncle is gone, that's all. "'Gone? Gone where?' "'To England. "'It was settled two days ago. "'Didn't I mention it?' "'No,' she said. "'You didn't? "'It's strange you forgot to.' then you're quite alone here now. All night, too? Yes, he answered, all night, too. But he did not say any more, and with a stare of puzzlement and her face a little paler, she stood silent. The kettle had been filled, and the wick of the spirit lamp was lighted. She stood waiting for the water to boil. It's boiling, Rosa, said Willie. I can hear it. "'I was thinking of something else,' she said, starting. "'There!' After a moment's struggle with himself, he asked, "'What were you thinking of?' "'What's the difference?' said the girl. "'I was thinking, too.' "'I know!' She ran to him impulsively and bent over the chair. "'We aren't the same to each other. "'What is it? Tell me!' He laughed, or sobbed. "'It's you! Me?' Oh, don't make me say it. You know as well as I do that I shall be alone in this heaven-forsaken hole, that for all one can see I may end my life in it. He's gone, and you're going. Picture me sometimes. You'll always be able to think of me just as you left me. That's the advantage of knowing a log. Willie, she cried. What do you mean? Why do you— "'I shall see more of Bad Shilling after you're gone, if he's kind. "'I shall learn to look forward to his remembering me "'and listen for his black feet on the boards as I used to listen for you. "'Has anything happened? My God!' "'Why do you talk to me like this?' she exclaimed. "'Don't you think I'm sorry enough for you? "'You talk as if I could help it. How can I help it?' If I can, tell me the way. I'll do it. I'd love to do it. You reproach me for nothing. The boy's eyebrows were raised significantly, and she flung herself on him in a whirlwind. If I can help it, tell me the way. You shall tell me. I don't know what you mean. I swear I don't. I won't let you go till you tell. You haven't thought. She shook her head vehemently. "'So why don't you say—' "'Oh, I forgot. I was shaking my head. "'No, no, no. I don't know, Will. "'You'll refuse if you want to. "'Answer! "'Yes, I'll refuse if I want to. "'Answer! "'We—you and I—might go to England together.' Her clasp on his neck loosened, and she lay in his arms, limp with dismay. "'This—' The natural course in the role that she was assuming was a complication utterly unforeseen by her. "'Go together?' she gasped. "'You don't wish it?' "'Yes, yes, I do, I do. "'But how?' "'It'd be quite easy. "'Let your company go on ahead, "'and we can follow by another boat. "'I've thought of everything. "'In that drawer there's my money.' "'You'd take it, and get our tickets to Cape Town. "'I don't know exactly how much money there is, "'but it's nothing like enough for our passages, "'and when we got down to the colony, "'I should wire to the lawyer, "'and he could cable me out a hundred or two. "'Go on, Will,' muttered Polly feverishly. "'Go on.' The blessed revelation that she was not expected to pay for her own passage—a thing that would have been as impossible for her as to buy the Kimberley Mine—had brought the color to her cheeks again. The one question that dizzied her now was, how could she sustain his belief that she was the actress if they travelled on a steamer full of people? Well, when we were home. "'we would go to a great oculist, "'somebody who sits in his consulting room "'and charges a guinea a minute, "'somebody with a strange manner "'that we don't like at first, "'and who doesn't look like an oculist a bit, "'but is marvellously clever, "'like the one in poor Miss Finch, "'and he'd give me back my sight, "'my sight, my sight, "'and I could see you when we kiss.' "'She yearned at him, "'pitiful and afraid. "'To think it should never have struck you,' "'Rosa, I've been breaking my heart because you didn't suggest it. "'I thought you didn't care for me any more, that you had grown tired. "'Won't it be glorious? "'I shall see your beautiful face close at last, "'and it'll be you who helped me to do it. "'Sweetest, tell me where we are going. "'It seems too wonderful to be true.' "'We're going,' she said. "'She put her hand through the open window and pulled at the water bag.' Roughly made of canvas, with the neck of a beer bottle inserted for a spout, it hung there to render the mawkish lukewarm water fit to drink. The iciness of its contact with her forehead now cleared her brain. End of section 8